So Brian, thank you so much for coming on. I wanted to welcome you on just to talk a bit more about uh, questions that I've been getting a lot more recently. You and I happened to actually meet on Clubhouse and you were the one who approached me about this. So I am so glad that you did because I've been wanting to talk about this subject literally for years, but over this, uh, this lockdown. I've been getting so many more questions about studying in Italy. So, Brian, maybe just before I start talking too much, do you want to introduce yourself, tell us who you are and about your podcast and even uh, your your history and what you do? <laughs> I would love to. Thank you, Raphael. Uh, my name is Brian Apfel. Uh, I started kind of in the social media sphere on TikTok and Instagram, um, Bearded Brian, but professionally, I have worked for the past 15 years in, in higher education in all gambits of uh, the the college and and study abroad market, uh, mainly focusing in higher education admissions. So helping students get into college, but then also once they're there, focusing on all the different things that you could take advantage of. And and one of the things that was near and dear to my heart was was study abroad. I had the opportunity to do so. I should mention I, I went to Marist College in New York, and then that's where I started working for the last fifteen years of my career before moving down here. To Florida. And so the transition over there was really great because I knew they had such a great study abroad program and it was something that I experienced for myself. So then sharing that experience with students either going through the college search process or once they decided on enrolling into Marist and helping them through that uh, was great. So when I was a junior, I spent uh, about six months in Sydney, Australia for my study abroad experience. Oh, wow. uh, and then our campus was really specialized all around the country we sent students to over 80 different locations but the most popular was our branch campus in florence italy so that was when i saw you on clubhouse and we started talking that immediately got me excited and that's uh, why i reached out and uh, so thank you so much for having me i appreciate it well, thank you really again for, for reaching out. I'm very excited about this conversation. And I mean, it seems like you're so passionate about this subject. So I think we're going to have a great time today. And just also before we get too much deeper, I got to say that is a beautiful man mane that you've got there. That is. <laughs> I appreciate it. So I've always <laughs> had kind of a five o'clock shadow like you. And then COVID hit and I was like, all right, let's see uh, what happens and see uh, how long this ends up getting. And uh, it. Uh, it grew on me. Pardon the dad joke, but yes. yeah, no, I'll, I'll, <laughs> but I guess maybe the the best place to get started because you have experience with both high schoolers and college students, and maybe it might be worth to take this in order because I do get messages from uh, high schoolers as well as college students who are thinking about Italy, but also the parents that are involved sometimes. Sure. Um, so, what would you say, maybe? When a person is in high school, what is it that they should be focusing on and what should they be doing so that they could plan for that that life abroad, not life abroad, but studying abroad experience? Sure. Um, let me say, first of all, is even just traveling yourself and, and trying to get some of those independent experiences. I started when I was very young. There's a phenomenal program called uh, the People to People Student Ambassador Program, and you go for a couple weeks as um, anywhere from like a middle schooler to a high schooler, and, and you can go and travel. So I traveled Italy, France, Austria, Switzerland, all, all wow. throughout Italy, um, uh, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, all before I went to college um, through That's those people-to-people um, -people student ambassador programs. So wow. just studying abroad and, and getting that abroad experience or traveling abroad is, is definitely a, a great, great place to start. But I would say in very simplest terms, because also financially that is not feasible for every family and every student to be traveling around the world while while they're younger so i would say the most important thing is independence and a willingness to try new things and experiencing new cultures and so mm -hmm. whenever i talk to a student that's first thinking about studying abroad i honestly say start little as far as go out to dinner in restaurants that you traditionally don't like or or go to mm. a restaurant and order something that you traditionally don't order or you never tried before what's the worst that can happen and and just kind of 
getting into that mindset of trying new things, experiencing new cultures, things that are not normal for you is, is okay and exciting. And that's, I think the biggest benefit of studying abroad is opening your mind to just because this is how I know things to be done. Doesn't mean it's the right way or the highway type thing that there's so Mm -hmm. many different ways of approaching different mindsets, different cultures. Um, and and so, I mean, just putting yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would totally agree with that. I mean, I can say even in my own situation that having had that experience of traveling younger uh, did prepare me for some of the trials and tribulations of even living life abroad later on and remembering those times being a teenager and a kid, like with these these various uh, situations that I had been through and to kind of allow me to not have to go through that crash course when it would have been so imperative for things to actually be okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I'll give you my favorite example. We were mm-hmm. in Florence with a, a group of students and this one student, when I first met her, never willing to try new things and just, mm-hmm. I like, you know, a burger. I like this. I like that. And just not willing <laughs> to try. And I would just beg her. I said, please, like, that's how you're going to get the most out of this experience. We are only in Italy for two weeks. Please just try stuff out of your comfort zone. And little by little she would, and she would start getting more confidence. And and so we took a day trip to Cinque Terre, uh, which if you've not been, I could talk about that area of Italy uh, for hours. I, I love that area. But there was a beautiful restaurant right on the water and she was looking at the menu and she saw a calamari salad and Mm. so she said oh i like fried calamari is it kind of the same thing and i kind of warned her i said it may not be fried so you may actually see the kind of rubbery rings but it'll be basically (laughs) the same taste and flavor and stuff and so she said all right i'm gonna try something new i'm gonna try this i'm gonna get a calamari salad that seems like a good safe test and so i was very proud of her but it came and it was a salad with the full like octopus on like head <laughs> eyes tentacles oh wow everything. that's jumping in the deep end that's her like face, really like there. just dropped and i said okay okay so i said let me get the salad and she like looked away and i cut it up for her and i like took the head off and i cut it up so it looked a little bit more like calamari rings and stuff and then gave it back and she ate it and she loved it and it was great and she was so proud of herself but man i was like oh i really threw her under the bus with trying something new there <laughs> oh poor kid wow oh, yeah I no know. I mean, calamari, like, especially when it's not fried, that's really like, it, it doesn't, I'll admit, it doesn't look the most appetizing. I no. like it, but yep. I, I kind of do have to psych myself up sometimes to eat it. Fried, yeah. no problem at all. Right. <laughs> I, I was proud of her. She she did it and she liked it. It was, it was great. <laughs> yeah, no, it's delicious. I mean, even like having gotten used to uh, that one dish, because there will be that like a jump off position, that jump off dish, that kind of gets things started for you and even from there i explored octopus and found out that i enjoy that same type of octopus salad on a piece of bread not that i have it so often but once you start then it just your world starts expanding more and more it leads from one thing to the next thing to the next thing and it's such an important thing when you're living abroad or even studying abroad especially i would say even more so when studying abroad because you can end up in this like little bubble your educational bubble that you really have to fight and push that much more to make sure that you experience what you can while you're in that place especially if you're going to be there for such a short period of time Absolutely. And then the other theme that I just briefly mentioned, and and students can translate this however they want, but just independence, like proving, like, especially when you're applying for these programs, showing that you're not a sheltered person that can't do anything without mom and dad. And however Mm -hmm. you define that it having a job or even just traveling to and from school on your own. Like I, I took a bus and a train in order to get to school and and it served that independence and so figuring Mm -hmm. out ways that you can uh push yourself to to be more independent and then also prove that independence when you're looking to apply for programs or colleges or whatever the case might be so is that actually the situation in some cases where you didn't see maybe at least a minimal level of independence and you would actually refuse that application To be honest, yeah, yeah, just being, especially for a semester long or longer, we had anywhere from 
three weeks to four year study abroad experiences. And depending upon the length of the student's choice, we would really look at, are we confident in their independence? And and we would do an interview and even just questions again, Mm -hmm. like basic, have you had a job or tell me about your job experience or whatever you could quickly gauge a student's level of independence or confidence in being alone and independent and being in a, mm-hmm. in a foreign country. So, uh, obviously any of those, uh, a lot of high schools do like high school abroad trips or whatever, even right. if it's for a short period of time. And even just those experiences of going without family and, and stuff, it, 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 it builds your independence significantly. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I mean, it's something that I definitely wish I had participated in. I don't know if I would have necessarily been ready for it in high school. I'm definitely glad I was able to travel with family at that age. But it's it's a very interesting point. Um, And to also recognize where you're at. And of course, at a younger age, it can be a little bit more difficult to recognize that just because of the lack of life experience. But I'm curious also, academically, is what how does that play into this this uh, application process? So it'll vary pretty significantly from program to program. And again, what you're trying to accomplish. Um, So for example, that summer program that I ran for high school students, their academics was really just to make sure that they were going to, they were taking one course over the course of the two weeks while they were there. But Mm -hmm. what was nice was they were specialized programs in the students' interest. So, for example, students can choose studying fashion in Italy, which is one of the Mm -hmm. hubs of uh, uh, fashion around the world. Or they can uh, take art or uh, Mm -hmm. we had a interior design course. And so it was more about learning their level of interest in that topic more so Mm -hmm. than their quality of education, to be honest. Meaning, let's say a student just was not an all a type student that was okay you know as long as they had Mm -hmm. the passion for what they were studying in that specific program so that's another good thing to keep in mind that there are some programs that are very specialized in an academic area and maybe those would be easier to get into if you are a lower academic student than a you know traditional full semester full course load study abroad um so would that same also go for uh, a university student like that yeah. that same so that so that's the rule of thumb even from high school through university that there will be these various programs that may be geared towards different types of students correct and let me give you another example one of the great uh programs that we had is we had summer or spring attachment programs and what that means is you take a three credit college course in the states at your institution so for example one of the courses that we offered was a uh like an environmental science biology type course where mm-hmm. students were studying they were actually studying the migration patterns of humpback whales was it was a big study area at the time and then wow. what they did was then over the summer once they finished the course those students then went for three weeks to the galapagos islands and like did scuba diving with whales and and studied their migration patterns and stuff so again that's a great example of getting a really cool study abroad experience but it was such a niche thing that as long Mm -hmm. as the students were enrolled in that course and doing well in that course then they could just continue on and the expectations academically were very different than again a study abroad as far as Mm -hmm. a study abroad it's really like a full semester or longer it's going to be just a strict gpa requirement and every institution Mm -hmm. is going to be different but you're going to have to have like a 2.8 or something like that or higher in order to be considered for some of those study abroad so it's not like you're just going there to party they're not just sending kids off to go party in italy have fun times at the discotheques and so on correct the other tricky thing academically is you have to apply so at our institution you had to apply to be a study abroad like applicant so you almost had to apply Mm -hmm. to apply and then once you were qualified to study abroad through our institution then you had to apply to the programs that you wanted to go to so for example for me studying abroad once i was qualified to study abroad then i had to apply to um macquarie university in sydney australia and be accepted as a study abroad student so they have to accept you as well Wow, that's that's fascinating. I mean, so 
there is quite a bit of complication. I mean, what does that look like if somebody is wanting to go and study abroad? How much lead time should they really give themselves to actually get through all the paperwork and all of the application processes? Um, I would say at least a semester. Um, but I normally recommend one of the things that I always recommended is traditional students study abroad, let's say their junior year or maybe senior year of college day one on campus it doesn't hurt to reach out to the abroad office and reach out to your advisor and say this is something i'm thinking about i'm not sure i'm mm -hmm. not committed but it can't hurt to just say this is something i may want to do in a couple years um, because then they can also which i'm sure we'll get into a little bit later on they can give you advice on your course selection process the earlier you start so if you start freshman year uh, and i'll give you some tips on this in a little bit but it it, it benefits you on what courses you can take and it'll also open up the flexibility of what courses what institutions that you can choose because some of those applications may have course requirements so planning that early enough or earlier is better but i would say the mm -hmm. latest you would want to start is the semester before you're planning on going interesting so actually i mean it, it could even be worthwhile jumping into that now unless there are any other prerequisites that you think are really worth focusing on um to make sure that a, a student would be ready to take on that that semester abroad or year abroad whatever it is uh not necessarily okay did so you want to yeah, get that, into the the actual course selection yeah i think that could be interesting i mean to to like what does that even look like for the student who's just getting started just starting to jump into this like i'm sure that it's going to be this whirlwind of information and what is it that they should really start looking at first sure so this is my favorite bit of advice and i say it from personal experience that someone gave me and i could not be more thankful that I started this process earlier. And that's why I'm so animate and passionate about starting as early as possible. So the benefit of asking these questions your freshman year when you start off in college is mm -hmm. traditionally what a college, especially like a liberal arts college like Maris, where I used to work, is they have you take your core liberal arts classes first and then you start getting into your major but mm -hmm. the challenge with that is let's say you're a business major like i am when you wait until your junior year to study abroad if you now are required to take business courses in order to graduate now your window of institutions that you can choose from narrows significantly because now you have to find another institution that has the exact courses that you need in order to graduate if you tell your advisor your freshman year that you are thinking about studying abroad what you can do is you can save some core liberal arts classes so literature art science whatever you want instead of taking those so early you start getting into your upper level business courses. So maybe take your junior year courses as a sophomore and you start a little earlier, but you save those core liberal arts classes. Mm -hmm. And then when you study abroad, then you just take those classes. And so there are multiple benefits to that. One is it is so much easier to find a literature, a math, a science, anywhere around the world that will right. translate and you'll get the credit for it. The second well, I can benefit, imagine, especially here in Italy with arts and so on. I, I always history. tell students, yeah, you're taking your liberal arts classes in the birthplace of the Renaissance, which is the whole idea behind a liberal arts education. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the foundation of where it all started, which is pretty cool. But the other benefit is now you're taking. So when I went to Australia, I took an Australian history course, an Australian literature course, an Australian art course, and it still met my requirements. But then I was able to dive even deeper into that culture that I was experiencing, which was amazing. And then the last benefit is a lot of those entry level liberal arts courses are freshman level courses. And so now mm -hmm. as a junior studying abroad, you're now taking a little bit easier classes. So you challenged yourself a little bit more earlier, but now when you're studying abroad, you have more confidence. The courses are a little bit more straightforward in what you're used to and, and maybe even easier than you're used to. And then you could just absorb the culture a little bit more. I got to travel a lot more and stuff because the courses were kind of freshman level courses that I was now taking as a junior. Mm. And so, I mean, it kind of sounds like even with this, that language, I mean, I guess maybe that fits within somewhat the, the prerequisite area as well as kind of what we're talking about now. 
how important is it to have that language of the country that you're choosing? And I mean, specifically Italy in this case, like, sure. Can you get into these programs without having Italian or do you need to have studied Italian? Phenomenal question. Um, I would say uh, I'll talk on my personal experience. I chose Australia because I am horrible with foreign languages. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to travel somewhere far, but I just knew I didn't have the confidence for uh, for that foreign language uh, requirement, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, mm. and then I always sold students on our branch campus in Florence, Italy, in that a lot of students did not know for English speaking students, London is the number one most popular study abroad mm. destination, mm -hmm. but Florence, Italy is number two. It is the second most popular study abroad destination for English speaking students. So huh. if you've never been to Florence specifically, it is a very, very student friendly and a very English friendly city. So I always mm -hmm. told students if you wanted to experience a foreign language or maybe you're of Italian descent and you, you, you have basic, basic basic knowledge of Italian, then going to Florence is phenomenal. But if you are really looking to advance your foreign language skills, then sometimes I don't recommend Florence, Italy, because mm -hmm. sometimes the Italians over there don't have the patience. They just go, yeah, 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 I speak English. Just let's let's move it on and right. let's just talk English. And so sometimes the students are like, no, I'm trying to challenge myself. And, and the Italians thought they were doing it as a favor of like, no, I'll speak English so it'll be easier for you. But the students were really trying to... Ch test themselves yeah. Yeah. but we're struggling because they they just spoke english so yeah. easily um so no, that would be, be my advice if, if you choose a major city you're gonna have less expectations to really know the foreign language very well mm -hmm. but if you want to really immerse yourself find an institution that is a little bit outside the city that maybe the people are less likely to be speaking english and then it challenges you and forces you to um experience the foreign language a little bit more that's a fantastic point. I mean, even uh, I used to live in a city called or just outside of a city called Bolzano. And there were a lot of English speakers there. And actually, you, they did have a requirement for some courses to speak in English. But more often than not, I can remember having experiences there where it was just like you have to speak either German or Italian. Right. They didn't even like give you. I mean, other than outside of the university at the university, there was that requirement. But still, like right. when you're going through that day to day life, if you need to go buy yourself some vegetables or go to the supermarket and so on, uh, maybe even in a, some some cities, you'll find that as well. But uh, the larger the city, more often than not, you'll find more people who can speak your language if you're a native English speaker. Exactly. Was that Vorzano with a V? Bolzano with a B. B-O-L-Z-A-N-O. Oh. Got it. <laughs> At first, I thought you said Panzano. I don't know if you've ever been there <laughs> no, in I Italy, haven't. but that is one of my favorite cities. There's, uh, You should look it up if you're traveling. I don't know where it would be in relation to you, but there's a butcher. The like He's known as the butcher of Panzano. And if you've ever read the book Heat, he is the, the butcher in that. He's a he is world renowned and you can go there and it's this little tiny butcher shop. Uh, I, again, I could talk about him for hours, but uh, <laughs> it is 100% worth a day trip, depending upon how far it is from you to check out the butcher of Panzano. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is one of my favorite things that I love about Italy is that Yes, we have supermarkets here, but you also have those little stores that you can go to and it's just the vegetable guy, the meat guy, the fish guy, whatever guy you want. You can have a guy here in Italy. And it, it, what's that one show? Uh, How I Met Your Mother or something. Barney Stinson yep. had a great point. You got to have your guy. And in Italy, especially, you've got to have your guy. It's such an integral part of lifestyle. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's so fresh. That's the biggest difference mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. you can make the exact same dish with the exact same ingredients and it just will not be the same here in the states compared to italy i mean you could just get yeah. a piece of bread with a piece of cheese and a tomato on it and it's just gonna blow your socks off <laughs> oh gosh i can't even tell you like one of my favorite things in this country is just the simple sandwiches that they do with just bread cheese meat nothing yep. else super simple super like i would nowhere else would i eat this but in yep. Italy, for whatever reason, it is like just out of this world. <laughs> it's I, I unbelievable. Agree more. <laughs> but 
I guess maybe getting back more into some of the selections or even various aspects of uh, of this process, what are some of the other things that students should really keep an eye out for, or maybe even from your experience that you've seen where students can go wrong with with making their selections? Sure. So similar to what we talked about early, time is key because it is a a long process. There's a there's a lot of steps along the way that you just have to be cognizant about. And to be Mm -hmm. honest, I I can't tell you how many times students just, I can't tell you how many times I've worked with a student that had to rush through and try to get their passport because they did all this planning for studying Mm -hmm. abroad. And then they forgot about their passport or they forgot that maybe they have a passport and it's going to expire midway through your study abroad experience. And so you need to be thinking about that stuff and applying um, you know, as, as early as, as possible. So definitely, I think the biggest things to be planning for, especially as you get closer and closer to your study abroad is, you know, the passport visa stuff, which we can talk about if you wanted mm-hmm. travel insurance is a big thing that we can talk about, um, as well. Um, and then a, another big question that a lot of students have is, money and cell phone and getting a job if if there's jobs those are those are another three big key things that i would make sure you're looking into how are you going to get money a credit card debit card you know you know how how are you going to handle that process while you're overseas you know your cell phone Mm -hmm. stuff like that yeah so actually i mean i guess that would be a good place to start with the visas because i know italy just from experience can be very strict when it comes to doing visas and all that and it's not like you can just get it once you're here Um, right so is it the type of thing where you would send students here on a tourist visa just because it was easier or did they really need to have a a student visa to actually get over here if you are taking college courses, then you do need a student visa. So you mm. can travel as uh, an American to Italy on a travel visa or, you know, a- as a tourist without needing a student visa. But if you are taking any college courses whatsoever, then you do need a, um, a-, a student visa, even if you are staying for a short period of time, like even that two week program when I was working with it, with the high school students, it didn't require, I think they just changed it this past year that now even oh, that wow. short two week program, because they are taking a three credit college course, they are required to have a student visa. Oh, that's fascinating. That's something I didn't even know. It, I, I'm assuming that's something that's re- required by the school or has that been actually one of the requirements for Italy, like the, from the government? For Italy. Oh, wow. So that yeah. I was not aware of. Fascinating yeah. to hear about that. I mean, things are pretty heavily regulated here, so I can't say I'm surprised that right. <laughs> this type of thing would come into play as well. But wow, um, even for just a two week trip. And so even with that, from your experience, I know just generally speaking with visas, Italy isn't always the fastest at their consulates. And I'm assuming you were working with the New York consulate, but right. um, or maybe Miami in some cases, but um what was that kind of turnaround time that that those students needed to actually get that rolling or was that something that you handled for them correct so that's one of the benefits of going through a study abroad department like we had is you do have those resources and connections that that help you along the way and make sure even the the application process that we were talking about earlier there's a lot of handholding in a good way in that process Mm -hmm. because there are so many things that you need um i normally say especially if you're doing it independently for some reason maybe your institution doesn't offer those resources um latest i would say is you need to schedule your interview for the visa like minimum four weeks in advance so i would start the application process even earlier but part of the application process is you need to prove your acceptance into the italian university program and you Mm -hmm. must um have proof of accommodations while you're there so again starting this whole process you can't even start the visa process until you have your acceptance letter from that other institution and you have housing uh, accommodations already set up then you can start the visa process 
Interesting. Wow. Yeah, no, that's, again, this is touching on another subject that's very similar to just how other things in Italy work. And for even residency, I've talked about this plenty of times where you need the rental contract to get the residency, but the residency to get whatever. This this, this (laughs) whole closed loop system that it's just like you have to figure out where you're going to insert, whoops, (laughs) where you're going to insert yourself and how you're going to insert yourself in there. It's, it's to be honest, overwhelming. And I, I would not recommend doing it by yourself. Hopefully the students that are listening that are thinking about studying abroad do have those resources at a university or at, you know, high school or, um, you know, even graduate schools offer great study abroad experiences and Mm -hmm. internships and stuff. Uh, and, and if that's something that you would, I would say if that's something, especially if anyone's listening, that is, is a high school student or maybe a parent of, uh, up and coming students identifying schools that have strong study abroad programs, even if you're not a hundred percent sure, because let's say they're young now and they don't, they're not really considering study abroad by the time they get to their junior or senior year of college, those interests may change. And so picking an institution mm-hmm. that has those resources handy just in case is, is definitely a benefit. That's a fantastic point. I mean, especially with young kids and even people in their early 20s, they sometimes have no clue where they want to go, what they want to do. I mean, I can I'm also speaking from experience here. Like I had ideas of what I wanted to do, but then discovering them as you go along, you can change that path ever so slightly. And sometimes that can have a a little change at the the beginning of your journey can have a, a massive effect on where you may end up at the end. Absolutely. And so even when you were going through this process with the students, did you see that there were many cases where there were people who would get so far into the process and then just kind of drop out? Or was it most people that were, if they were starting that process already, that meant they were pretty serious? Good question. I would say both meaning because we encourage students to start earlier there were students that would come freshman sophomore year and just ask questions and then decide all right this isn't for me and i mm. i loved that you know i'm i'm glad you asked and i'm glad you tried and if you found other things that were a priority over the course of your you know 4 years of college to to accomplish then uh then so be it but i would say once a student really starts applying for the institutions overseas and and stuff they they're they're pretty serious at that point honestly Mm. the challenge and this is why we talked about that independence earlier what does happen a lot is the homesickness that students Mm. go through this whole process Mm. of studying abroad and then get out there and then two weeks in they want to come home because you know Mm. maybe they they just are homesick and they weren't expecting it to be as overwhelming as you know as it can be so that's the biggest thing that we we not fight for lack of a better word, but that that's the biggest thing that we try to avoid. And that's why the programs are so selective and and they Mm -hmm. have these academic requirements is the last thing that we want is you putting all this time and effort into a program like this, getting over there and then wanting to come home. So, I mean, I guess even getting into that, that those first stages of like, once you've finally gotten on the plane, you've arrived. I mean, of course, we're talking about a post-COVID world or a world where we figured out how to get up, uh, at least past it enough where things are somewhat normal. Right. What would that look like? I mean, considering how things have been, what would that look like uh, for those students, those first days, those first weeks, those first months? And if they even did feel homesick, is that an option for them or do they really not have that option at the end of the day? Yeah. So starting right off on day one, when you're ready to fly out, one of my bits of advice and I, it's one of my told you so's whenever I talk to parents, there are two options in doing your travel expenses one is doing it on your own and finding the cheapest flight and you know the most convenient for your family or what a lot of study abroad programs and institutions do is do like a group travel and a lot of times they Mm -hmm. end up being cheaper or not that much more that like we would work with a travel agent find a group rate and then all the students traveling to italy for example we would put them all on the same flight and and fly them all out there together and i Mm -hmm. Every single year I told families, even if you find something a little bit cheaper and you save a hundred bucks or whatever, it is not worth it because these students that don't know each other, 
day one getting to the airport at JFK in New York or right. wherever you're flying out of that immediately creates that cohort and I've right. seen the students that by the time they land they've already developed that okay I don't know anyone you don't know anyone we're both uh, f- from this institution studying abroad in right. Italy let's sit together and talk and hang out and they become really close and then it creates that support system right when they land as opposed Mm. to the other student that or what some families do which i normally recommend against for this same reason is what some families do is they plan a family vacation prior Uh to the study abroad experience so let's say i'm studying abroad in florence italy my family will do a family vacation the week before so we all get acclimated and my family can see the campus and it's a lot of fun and in concept that sounds great but then what happens is two things Uh, one is now that cohort arrives that they all got to know each other because they had that vulnerability together that you didn't and so they do get a little clicky sometimes and it's a little harder Hmm. to kind of join that click if you're there already and then the second thing and it sounds like a little thing but it's a big deal that jet lag when you're flying out there the first couple days when those students are coming over and getting used to the time difference and stuff at least they're all in it together and they're all kind of on the same biological schedule so to speak with uh with that time difference but you that have been there for a week with your family now you're like hey it's 8 a.m it's exciting start a new day i'm excited why are you napping you know and and you're just off with those students Wake that you up, may have got way more energy to see exactly exactly and so a lot of times those students that do that family thing have a harder time in the um transition which is ironic that the family is doing it for the exact opposite reason so what i always encourage is do the opposite have your family meet you at the end of the program and then you Mm. spend a week together so you could show them all the cool things that you've experienced you have the confidence to show them around the city on your own and you become the tour guide and it's super cool and that is a way more fun rewarding experience than the other way around yeah, I could I could imagine that. I mean, even I could imagine like if a, a student is there with their family, they're they're in that vacation mode. They're on this high and they're really having this great time. And then all of a sudden, OK, real life student mode hits and it's like, oh, crap, I just was up here. Now I'm down here right. and I'm not living that same quality of life. I'm in a dorm or I'm with a bunch of other people. And it just it, it can I've seen that happen to people where they actually fall into a, a quick depression or a, a lasting yeah. depression because Absolutely. of that, that change from the highest of highs to i'm not going to say the lowest of lows but a big major change even more so whereas that if you kind of end up like you were saying at the airport together there's that build up that 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 uh that gradual build up into that new phase of life and also that shared fear and vulnerability Mm -hmm. as that cohort coming there is a very healthy thing that they're kind of supporting each other and they're um learning their independence together which is which is great but you mentioned a great point with study abroad in general that's something that students should be aware of i think culture shock is way more prevalent when you return the 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 reverse culture shock is actually much harder for a lot of students and we had a lot of support systems back at at our previous institution to help students coming back from study abroad because that that was hard yeah, no, I mean, honestly, this is one of the reasons why I don't go back to the States is just because <laughs> the longer that I'm abroad, the more that I know I'm going to be in culture shock. And the the longer that I'm abroad, I know the bigger culture shock that I would have going back to the States because I definitely had that happen to me the first yeah. couple of times leaving the U.S. And that's something that's very real I, and it can be very jarring. And it's not something that you understand until you really go through. It's like culture shock. OK, yeah, that's a cute idea. But then you go through it and you don't really realize the what it does to you uh, it what does. it does to you mentally and it, it really shakes you up it really does and i i did not even know that that existed until i myself came back from study abroad and i agree with you 100 percent. i brushed it off as people mentioned it because i was like whatever i'm familiar with my hometown why would i right. be freaked out coming back home but but it does happen 
Right, because there's the culture shock when you go to the new place and you're getting used to it, but then the culture shock of coming back and just realizing that life is not the same, that you are not the same person. Everything else is an ex- to an extent the same, but that you've just, you've grown, your, your horizons have been expanded. But I'm just curious though, maybe what are some of the other things that maybe a person should really like when they're just getting started out, what are the, what is it that they should be doing with their classes, with their school to make sure that they are settled in, in the academic sense, but then also what should they do when they're settling in just to get into that daily routine? Sure. So first thing is depending upon how long you're there, let's, I would say the most common is the semester, the traditional semester abroad. So let's talk kind of assuming we're talking to that population first thing is you have three four five months to explore to experience to whatever just take your time to settle similar to moving into a new dorm room or whatever you you unpack you set stuff up the way you want it to set up and so you may have friends that want to hit the ground running and start partying and uh especially for college students that like the drinking age is a big deal that it changes from being in the States (laughs) to 21 to, you know, now you're legally allowed to drink in Italy or wherever you decide to go. So it sounds corny, but just take it slow because you will have months to experience these experiences that give yourself the time to just get acclimated, find out where your dorm is. Um, Also walking to class and and walking around the campus and and figuring out where all these things are. So your first week, you're not stressed and getting lost and getting late. Um, Stuff like that. And just making sure you have kind of all of your, your books and, and stuff. And then the last thing is just don't, don't be afraid to find the resources that you need. Like when I went and studied abroad in Australia, they had, so the campus Macquarie university in Sydney that I went to 50% of their student body were Australians. And then the other 50% were study abroad. So there was, it was a huge study abroad population from around the world. And so they had a study abroad office that was, the opposite of what I was used to. Our study abroad was to send students out. There, you know, theirs was resources for the students getting huh. there and taking uh-huh. advantage of those resources is really important. And and just kind of getting acclimated. Um, and and having said that, every institution hopefully will have some sort of orientation. Ours definitely did, uh, and there are some programs that are required and some that are optional and could be helpful take advantage of all of those you you never know and some of them may sound corny but just the more confidence you feel as an individual the more you're going to get out of out of that experience Mm -hmm. and so i guess even just to take it in a, a slightly different direction as well uh kind of veering off from what we were just talking about there's also that 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 transitional period not only for the student but for the parents as well and so even during that first period of time or even as it's going on what is it that the parents should be aware of for themselves or for the students um emergency situations what what should be some of the things that maybe parents do to be prepared but not over prepared. Sure. So let's start with before you go. I would say if if study abroad is going to be your son and daughter's first big independent experience, meaning they've never gone to summer camp, they've never, you know, maybe when they went to college, they commuted and they didn't go away, then that study abroad experience is going to be hard for both of you. It is going to be hard because they don't have the independence that they need, but then you don't have the confidence in their independence that you're going to be worried sick. And so part of that independence that we talked about earlier is also for the parents to to make them feel confident okay, I know that my son or daughter going off to a foreign country is going to be safe. They're going to be smart. They, they've they experienced being away from home. And so especially whenever I met with 
parents for that two-week program with high school students, that was one of the biggest selling points that I would tell them is if they are even considering a full semester study abroad experience, wouldn't you rather know as a high school kid they spent and survived two mm-hmm, weeks by mm-hmm. themselves overseas as this kind of mm-hmm. short test you know, type thing. Um, so trying to find those again, summer camps and stuff like that, any opportunities where you can let them go and, and be independent is, is really important. Also, this is a very sensitive topic to talk about, but I'm, have you heard the term helicopter parents before? Yes, I have. (laughs) (laughs) So working in higher education, I'm going to even push it a step further. So for those of you that are listening that don't know, a helicopter parent is a parent that hovers and watches and oversees everything that the student does and is involved in everything that they do in life. There's a new term that is coming out now. It's called the lawnmower parent, where unlike a hovering parent (laughs) where they kind of watch over, parents now are literally lawnmowing and plowing so let's say your kid has a scary jungle or forest that they have to you know navigate through the parent is going ahead ahead of them and mowing it all so the kid just has this nice beautiful paved path in front of them and so a lot Mm -hmm. of these students to be honest don't understand hardship and don't understand independence because everything is not only done for them but they don't even realize how much is being done for them because they're mm-hmm. walking down the street going look i'm independent i'm walking down the street and you don't realize that it's because <laughs> your parent paved it in right. front of you um and wow. and so i bring that up as a very sensitive topic of letting go and kind of cutting the cord so to speak mm-hmm. and uh like when i can't tell you how many conversations i had with parents with that two-week program where they would say well can i come visit or can i go for the two weeks and and live close by just in case something happens and, right. and honestly some parents did do that i couldn't stop them and so there were some parents that for two weeks got a hotel and they traveled around italy but just to be there in the same city with their student and Talk about limiting your kids' independence. You know, like even just the confidence of being overseas, are they really getting the same confidence that the other students are knowing that mom and dad is right around the corner if they actually do need them? And so especially with a short-term program like that, if your family has the opportunity to take advantage of, again, a student ambassador program like I did or one of those short-term programs, do it because as a parent, it also gives you the confidence to cut the cord and and let them go and experience and and try new things. So it's not easy, but hopefully Mm -hmm. you have built that maturity and confidence that by the time they go, you can just let them go and, and let Mm -hmm. them experience it on their own. Try not to hold hands. And one of the best ways to do that is we talked about all of these different things that you have to do in this application process, make them do it on their own. Do not Mm -hmm. call the embassy on their behalf. Do not print out their passport application, you know, and let them fill it out or deliver it X, Y, and Z. Make sure they're doing what they need to do, but make sure they are doing every step of the way on their own. That's an amazing And then the point. last advice for parents that I would have is the finances. I was very grateful that my parents helped me financially in like the flights and stuff like that. But all of my spending money, they were like, that's on you. So if you want to experience as much as you can and, and you're going to need spending money while you're out there, you better be saving up in advance. And that gave me... Um, more appreciation for the experience, knowing that every penny Mm -hmm. that I'm spending while I'm out there is my money that I had to work Mm -hmm. really hard. And again, going into that starting early, I, for years, I was working these jobs and saving money, knowing that study abroad was in my future. And I wanted to make the most of that experience. So Mm -hmm. even any of my day trips or flights within Australia, you know, I, I paid for all of that stuff on my own. And so I appreciated it more. So again, that it feels like independence is a big theme of this conversation, (laughs) but financial independence for these students and parents helping those students develop that, that financial independence is, is a big deal as well. 
That's no, it, it's such a huge point, and uh, thank you for bringing it up. And I'm glad that it's been such a focal point. I'm also just curious because you were mentioning also even regarding the financial side of things. We kind of briefly touched on it earlier, um, but regarding if a student is coming here to live in Italy, not to live, but to study here in Italy, I know that there are a lot of restrictions on work. But from your experience and what you've seen working in that field, what has been the case with your students who've been needing to work to be able to support themselves and get by while they're here? Yeah, good question. So that is definitely something, especially you said the word need. If that is a requirement as part of your experience that in order to do this, I'm going to need to work while I'm over there, you're going to have to ask those questions early because every country is going to be different. Um, For Italy, you can get a student job. I think it's a max 20 hours a week and you don't need a work permit if you are a UK resident but if you are not then you are going to need a work permit and so we did employ a lot of students over at our branch campus over in florence italy um and the benefit was we had we had a branch campus over there so we needed students at the front desk that spoke english and mm-hmm. um you know and also were familiar with our our brand the the maris brand over in in new york to help students with the the transition over there so there are definitely employment opportunities again i think even with that there there was a max i want to say was 20 hours a week um so that's something you also have to be cognizant of is as a student on a student visa don't expect to be able to get a full-time job i think that would be either impossible or or very unlikely yeah no i mean i know for a fact it's just to begin with when trying to find a job here as a student it's very difficult to begin with because it puts the the employer in a tricky position and then also um i mean the student the the whole idea of a student visa at the end of the day is to go and study not to go and work and i've had i can't tell you how many people have contacted me saying hey if i get a student visa can i work 50 hours a week i'm like excuse me (laughs) right it's like that 50 hours a week you might want to rethink what you're doing with those 50 hours if you're coming here to study i mean for people though it i do understand that it is necessary especially as a student who has not started getting into that part of your life where you're really financially comfortable that working is is a necessary part of life and i'm not knocking that at all but (laughs) even with that said you gotta you gotta keep your expectations real absolutely i i would say if if you need that additional financial assistance in order to make the experience possible, I, I'd be very hesitant, honestly, with that study abroad, just mm. because you also never know that you may go and you may be offered a job and then you may get it and then you lose the job for whatever reason. Now, what are you going to do? You know, are you going to try to finding another job is going to be virtually impossible. Uh, it, it's it's really, really tough to do, unfortunately. So if that finances is a big consideration for that it, it's something you really want to think twice about before you go yeah no that's a fantastic point although i am curious though even say regardless of the financial situation maybe somebody is having a tough time they're having a tough time either acclimating or they're going through culture shock or they can't understand their teachers or their teachers can't understand them or sure. they're going through all these types of situations what should be the first thing that they do do they do they reach out to their school in in america to the local school what support systems are normally out there for a student who would be as part of a program great question so let's break these up into two categories the first is the first couple weeks that you're there because that honestly is very different than the longer term problems that you're going to be having it is very 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 common to have all of those feelings very early on and and there's a couple reasons one is just homesick and then b Mm -hmm. as we talked about life is going to be different and not what you expect and there are things that i could spend hours and hours preparing you for that you just may not be prepared for to give you a very minor example there was a student that liked calling home pretty regularly and and that was her sense of comfort and in italy it was it was a beautiful I, I don't even remember hundreds of years old uh like i think it was like a monastery converted into a dorm residence hall oh, in wow. florence italy if you've been to florence it is every building is hundreds of hundreds <laughs> of years old <laughs> yeah. I, and so the the walls were really thick 
mm-hmm. stone masonry. And so Wi-Fi is just not what you're used to at home. You know, at, yep. in the States, you're used to, you walk around and you have Wi-Fi, you know, and, and you're in your house. Maybe you need an extender here and there, <laughs> but you're going to have Wi-Fi. And it's just not the case in Italy. Like, it's just the, the signal is yeah. not going to be as, you know, maybe the technology is, is not quite there in the building, but it's also just how old the building is that getting through yeah. that concrete masonry is going to be impossible. And so she felt really insecure for a while because she was expecting being able to close her room in her dorm and be able to FaceTime at home. And that wasn't a reality. And she was really scared mm-hmm. and nervous. And, and eventually we found a workaround that she woke up a little bit early and said, her alarm and went into a common area that did have good Wi-Fi and we set Mm -hmm. like a schedule so okay this is Mary's private time in the common area to go in and and we set up like a like a sign up if you wanted to go in there and you know kind of FaceTime at home or if you didn't really care about that privacy just go and sit out in the hallway where you had better Wi-Fi or whatever but you Mm -hmm. have to make those adjustments and so being prepared to make those simple minor adjustments or I'll remember there was another student uh Raphael I don't know if you experienced this but my wife in in Europe dryers are not all that common uh and so you have washing machines and normally you then hang your clothes out on a line and you let it dry and it was amazing that this one girl who was studying in that fashion program that i was mentioning earlier that was like almost a deal breaker for her at first it was just change was hard for her and she was like wait what do you mean i I can't dry my clothes i was used to you know i i do laundry every day and this and and so i bring up those stories just purely prepare be prepared for change be prepared for uncomfort and stuff that is just different than what you're used to and and knowing that difference is not bad it's mm-hmm. just different and and so yeah. again i bring all this up that the homesickness and the culture shock that you get the first couple of weeks i always tell students if you're there for a semester or longer and you get homesick and you want to come home my my one bit of advice is please just try for another week let's let's give it another week let's stay in contact let's communicate regularly but please don't consider leaving at least for another week then another week let's have this conversation again and Mm -hmm. see where we are so i'm not saying no i'm not going to send you home if you are really that homesick but let's just try it and 99 percent of the time once they get through that first like three four five days then good luck getting them to come home at the end of the program. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how different that experience is. So um, so that's one. Then the bigger picture is, let's say you're really having those problems longer term. Hopefully you have developed a relationship with the study abroad program at home is probably going to be your best resource because... Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, when you're out there, you don't know those people. I would still try, like reach out to advisors or reach out to the faculty and have a conversation one-on-one with what you're struggling with. But more often than not, your campus back at home is going to have relationships. So for example, every institution that we send students to for study abroad, we had a long-term relationship with that institution. Mm -hmm. So normally our office at home had connections at the campus that you are studying abroad in and sometimes it just made it easier talking to your person that helped you in that application process to then maybe reach out to the institution and say hey Mm -hmm. the student is really struggling with this faculty member and can't seem to get on the same page for some reason can you put them in contact with someone and then a lot of times what they'll do is they'll find a resource at the institution that then will Mm -hmm. then reach out to you or maybe they'll get back to you and say okay Brian I found a good contact why don't you go reach out to Raphael he seems to know what you're going through and might be able to give you some you know advice and guidance and, and and stuff like that Interesting. I mean, um, maybe before my next question, I'm just, is there anything that you feel like maybe we haven't touched on that you think is really worthwhile diving into in this, this whole area of studying abroad? Um, no other than a shameless plug of do it, figure out a way to do it. You know, for those of you that are on the fence or trying to do it, don't let these conversations intimidate you. Yes. It's a long process. It's a long, you know, whatever, but 
I always tell, and Raphael, you and I talked about this before we started recording, even that two week program, especially for the parents that are listening, I always told parents, the kid that you drop off to me and I take over for this two week program in Italy, I guarantee I'm dropping off a different person that you won't recognize, Mm -hmm. you know, in a good way, you know, their independence, their maturity, their confidence level all across the board will will elevate. And and I remember there was a father that I met. We also had a freshman Florence experience program where students can do their freshman year over in Italy and then come back and do the rest of their three years um, back here in the States. And Mm -hmm. I met a father that went into tears telling us about how that changed his daughter. And he was like, she was always confident. She was always a good kid. But, oh, my gosh, her maturity level and stuff when she got back from this program. And I have often told parents that you just if I put you in the room with two different people, one has study abroad experience and one does not. I can almost guarantee you'll be able to tell the difference between the two, mm-hmm. um, regardless of how long they went or where they went or whatever. That There is a professional development and growth in that change. And the other thing is the the professional development as far as getting jobs and stuff employers Mm -hmm. know that and are looking for that and they know that having a broad experience on your resume it immediately in that one line tells that future employer about your maturity level about your confidence about your willingness to try new things and think outside of the box you know that that one bullet on your resume tells a whole story to that future employer so it is a life-changing experience that i can't speak uh, highly enough about that's amazing. You know what? I think it's time, though, we get into just a question that is probably going to scare and make the parents feel also a little bit better, but then also really excite the possible students, but then also <laughs> make them also a little bit scared. Um, I'm sure you've got plenty of stories. I don't know how much you can talk about, but what are some of the craziest stories that you've had with students abroad that maybe because of their actions had to be sent home? Oh, good question. Um, (laughs) That does happen disciplinarian sometimes, but honestly, the biggest thing, and it sounds silly, but it's, it's the drinking. It's, Mm -hmm. it's the, what happens is, is we have a binge culture here in the United States, especially in college, because it's illegal. And so students want to binge drink and consume as much as they can just in case they might get caught or even when you go out um you know to bars you, you see students pregame and and just drink an absurdant yeah. amount when they go over and and so the culture in italy is or or anywhere you go abroad that has a younger drinking age but they respect drinking a lot more than we do as Americans. And so yeah. a lot of the students that get in trouble, it's drinking related. And it's not just getting drunk. You know, I mean, look, the the mm-hmm. like our policy was, all right, you're now in a different country and you're an adult and the drinking age is this. So yes, if you would like to have a glass of wine with dinner or you want to go out to a bar, you are legal you are legal to do so. And it's funny some parents had a hard time with that. Some parents were like, really? yeah, but my kid's not 29. One, so you're not going <laughs> to allow them to go to a bar. And our response was like, we can't stop them. You know, maybe mm. you can as their parent tell them they're not allowed to do it. But I literally can't legally stop them. You know, they're they're in the dorm. And then at night, if they would like to go out to a bar and show their ID and show that they're 18 years of age, they're going to get into that bar, you know, and <laughs> there's not a whole lot we can do about it. And so one of the things that we actually started, it sounds so corny, but students mm-hmm. loved it, was at our branch campus, we have a slow drink club where students can experience enjoying alcohol and enjoying like we did wine and cheese tastings or stuff like that in italy and okay you know again for those of you that haven't been in italy the wine and then the cheeses and stuff oh, is phenomenal you know yeah. so we did you know wine cheese olive oil pairings and 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 really taught students to appreciate mainly wine in italy but you know alcohol consumption in general as opposed to kind of the binge drinking culture and so some of those classes at first the parents were like wait 
I don't want my kid drinking. And now you're going to be having a club that they're drinking. And, and then afterwards they saw the benefits of, of, right. of doing so. Um, it's fascinating that the, idea. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you there. You were just about to say something. Oh no. Um, I, I would say, Again, not to scare parents or whatever, but some of the other just crazier stories were just the medical challenges that that we faced. Um, And, you know, so making sure that you have those conversations in advance. We talked about travel insurance. Sometimes your insurance may cover you overseas. It may not. But in extreme examples, like most insurance do not cover, like if you need a emergency evacuation or transportation mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. home or something like that. Um, so getting some sort of travel insurance that not only covers your travel, like some insurance will cover loss of baggage or canceled flights or whatever, but also coverage of medical and if there are medical emergencies or if you do need to be transported for whatever again mm-hmm. we yeah. all hope that that never happens but preparing for the worst um is is never a bad thing but knock on wood and, and luckily those experiences were were quite few and far between that's that's great <laughs> i mean also <laughs> i mean here in italy i think what is it it's a hundred and I want to. I I don't want to say exact numbers here, but probably between 120 or 140 for a full year exactly. for for health insurance for a student. So, I exactly. Mean, I mean, and that covers so much. Even if you like uh, ambulance ride, no cost if if it's necessary, right. and then right. emergency room tra- uh, to to go there. Very often, like the maximum you might spend if it's an if it's an emergency and you're not like actually dying, maybe. 15 euros and that'll that'll include just about everything from injections to x-rays to checkups with the doctors and everything so um but if it's not an emergency then that's a different situation but what's considered an emergency here in italy versus what's considered an emergency in america i would say almost are two different things because like in the states right you don't go unless you gotta go like unless you are like unless you can it's like almost life or death situation type sometimes or you've broken a bone but exactly. then here in Italy, I've known people as like, oh, my stomach is really not doing well. I think I have to go to the emergency room. Oh, woe is me. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but anyway, Brian. And what's nice is I think that is a requirement for a lot of visas. Like I think in Italy, yeah. proof of insurance is a requirement in that process anyway. Yeah, I think you are right actually about that. And it's something... I don't even want to pretend how I, to, to know how that works because my situation is definitely different. And when it comes to some of these student things that I'm not the best educated because I didn't go through that myself here. And that's why I wanted to bring you on is because uh, you've had this experience actually working with students uh, coming out here to Italy and guiding them and working very closely with all of these different programs. So, Brian, really, thank you so much for taking this time to talk about this. And if anybody wants to find you online, listen to your podcast or reach out to you, how can they do that? I appreciate it. Um, so the I, as I mentioned earlier, I started on you know TikTok and Instagram, and then started to expand. I just started a podcast a couple months ago. I have a two and a half year old, and it has changed my life all for the better. And and honestly, I know I, I'm always a glass half full type guy, and with quarantine and COVID, obviously it's negatively impacted a lot of families and stuff out there. But on the flip side, for me some of the time at home with my daughter at at this age is something that, you know, I, I, most families never have the opportunity to be home Mm -hmm. day after day with, you know, especially at such an influential age. And then with TikTok, you know, my daughter and I would make like a new video every day. And and some of them went, you know, kind of a little viral and stuff, which, which was fun. So if you're looking for the fun side, if you just look up bearded underscore Brian, either on TikTok or Instagram, there's, there's some really fun, silly content over there. And then because of that and being inspired by some of the other great dads and parents that I've met, along the way uh, I started the Dynasty of Dads podcast and you can find that wherever you find your podcasts uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever Um, but uh, check it out Uh, the little spiel that I give about the podcast is I think there are two stereotypes of dads there's the like don't show emotion you know providers of the household 
type dad or the other extreme I call the sitcom dad, the the ones that are just goofy, silly, but can't be uh, held accountable for household responsibilities and stuff. And the, the kids always roll their eyes at. And so my goal of this podcast is to bridge the gap between the two. Let's be disciplinarians let's be you know providers if that's the role that you play but you don't have to but also let's roll around on the floor with our kids and and my daughter does my makeup or nail polish and stuff like that from (laughs) from time to time and fully embrace it and you know willing to be very emotional with my daughter if if the time calls for it and i try to overly say you know i love you i'm proud of you and and all of that stuff so really trying to redefine kind of the the modern dad and and a lot of the stuff that we're talking about like for me i can't wait for my daughter to start getting these abroad experiences especially her mother being you know from scotland originally she's already she's already been to scotland and france uh so we've already checked off two uh international experiences and she's only two and a half and let's keep them coming and then i can't wait for her to experience some of these trips on her own and and gain that independence that we talked about that's awesome so thank you again brian like it's really been such a great conversation with you definitely have to do this again sometime and i would love that thank you yeah no that would be great of course and so thank you so much again i appreciate your time and uh we'll talk soon (laughs) later thank you Raphael. it was a blast i had a lot of fun and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon (laughs) 